electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. Today on our podcast, former President Donald Trump indicted for hush money payments. So what does it mean for his political future and why now? CNBC's Eamon Javers. Will his base rally around him here in his time of legal peril? Or are we going to see Trump supporters start to look for another Republican alternative? The state of the market and what it means for the Fed's next move. Former CEA chairman and Harvard professor Jason Furman. Look, the longer this goes, the harder it gets. If the Fed had acted earlier on the rates, we might have had less of a financial stability problem now. Plus, America's continued strained relationship with China, and if there's ever hope for resolution in the future. Atlantic Council President and CEO Fred Kemp. The question is, how do we get into habits of behavior where we can actually negotiate these things and we don't have a balloon going over our territory that brings us to the edge of something worse? It's Friday, March 31st. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today, but Joe's here. I'm here in another pastel tie trying to draw out the spring yes, themes. I'm not wearing brown, gray. Huh? Not working. Maybe it's back. Yeah, I, I gave Might up. Be back. I'm back in black. <laughs> Might be backfiring. I don't know, man. I mean, this morning I got up serious. I go, well, maybe today's a new day. What, you know, I, I still just wear that light vest. Saturday, I think it's supposed to be 70. It's supposed to rain. You know, we don't have great springs in, no, in New okay. Jersey. You know what? I'm still feeling it because it's light late at night at this it's point. Better. I'm, I'm dealing it's with it. It's better, but I'd love a nice April and that where it doesn't rain every day and it's not like 40 degrees and dreary. I'd like that. Mm-hmm. I would like that. We'll see. We'll see. Our top political story today, a grand jury in Manhattan voting to indict Donald Trump. This is the first time a sitting or a former U.S. president will actually face criminal charges. An arraignment is expected next week. Eamon Javers is in Washington, and he has the latest on this. Eamon. Good morning, Becky. It is an historic first, a former president of the United States under indictment and at a time when he's campaigning to retake power in 2024. The former president issued a blistering statement last night saying this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. The Democrats have lied, cheated, and stolen in their obsession with trying to get Trump. But now they've done the unthinkable, indicting a completely innocent person in an act of blatant election interference. Trump also put out a social media post last night calling prosecutors, quote, thugs and radical left monsters. And the former president's campaign team sent an email to supporters last night denouncing the indictment and asking for money with donation ranges from $24 to $250. 
Now, we don't have the specific charges in this indictment just yet, just word from Trump's attorney confirming that he has been indicted, so we'll wait to see that. But we do know that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has been examining the circumstances surrounding this $130,000 hush money payment to former porn star Stormy Daniels during the 2016 campaign. Now, there could be charges in there around falsification of business records. There could also be charges around campaign, fi uh, campaign finance violations. We're only going to find out when they do unseal that indictment, not clear when that's going to happen. All of that raises the specter now of this former president of the United States being arraigned in a New York City courthouse, fingerprinted and photographed for a mugshot, even as he continues to receive protection by the Secret Service officers who are with him day and night and campaign for the presidency. In a statement, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg said, we contacted Mr. Trump's attorney to coordinate his surrender to the Manhattan DA's office for arraignment on a Supreme Court indictment, which remains under seal. And the question that just no one can answer at this time, guys, is how the indictment will affect for the former president's political support. Will his base rally around him here in his time of legal peril, sort of a rally around the flag effect? Or are we going to see Trump supporters start to look for another Republican alternative? That not clear at this hour. We did see a statement last night, guys, from Ron DeSantis, uh, governor of Florida, big Trump rival for the GOP nomination in 24, expressing support uh, for Trump, denouncing the DA. Uh, of course, Trump has been denouncing DeSantis. So politically, uh, it's a very strange moment. Legally, a very strange moment as well. That arraignment next week will be something to see, guys. We've never seen anything like it. Back over to you. Hey, Eamon, the, the support that came from DeSantis, I don't think he ever mentioned Didn't Trump's mention name. name. No. Um, I, I think it was more support yeah. for the idea that the DA he thought was political Soros. in this. He also said that he wouldn't comply as the governor with, war, uh, with Florida, with, would not comply with extradition, but it sounds like uh, President Trump is going to surrender right. himself. Yeah, I mean, that was an interesting point, right? Because it raises the, the specter, anyway, of this idea that somehow maybe Trump wouldn't comply uh, with this uh, indictment and wouldn't surrender himself. And therefore, uh, DeSantis, who controls policing power at the state level in Florida, uh, would sort of back that play. That seems very unlikely to happen, right? Because we know well, that Trump has said he's going to surrender his, his people. He, I think he wants Well, the, and yeah, exactly. You can't campaign too. if you do that. Right, but he wants a spectacle right. too. Uh, it, the, uh, you know, sure, I and he wants to signal support to Trump. Right, CNBC yeah. talking about this, and I'm like, the journal has a good piece. It's like the the, the trial, it's, uh, the the action itself by uh, the DEA does open a Pandora's box, but starting a discussion about it even opens up its own Pandora's box. There's so many different nuances and, and points to be made yeah. that we could we would go till nine we'd go till nine o'clock the one thing i'll say is literally that it's and i don't i think i want to stay above it other networks will other networks will they will i watched last night i watched last night it's like nothing right. else was was ever had ever happened but everybody got to weigh in with right. their opinion it's like okay i can write down your opinion you know for what that's we know what opinions are worth and it, i don't know if it moves the ball right I was trying to mix a metaphor. Look, Let's move the ball down the field. Does it move the ball couple, into the A couple things to watch for. Yeah. A couple things to watch for. As Becky moves says, the cake down the field. Uh, very the cake important down point the field. this morning. We don't know what's in this indictment. Right. Right? Right. We don't know what the charges are. You saw John Miller. We don't Miller. know what the evidence saw, is in the you indictment. Saw John so we Miller don't have said, any way to really judge how serious this case is. All these people There's, have these so remember, John Edwards. We don't know what's in it. You don't know what the charges are for sure, and you don't know what the what the evidence is on any of this stuff. So I, I would withhold. I did, like, I did like, see, see now we're going to get into it, Eamon. I did like what former Speaker Pelosi said. She said, Mr. Trump is going to have an opportunity to prove his innocence, <laughs> which is right. um, to prove that he's, 
Not that he's that the court's going to have an opportunity to prove guilty. Innocent. But, but he's guilty now. He's going to have guilty, a. He's going to have a. He's going to have an opportunity. He took down the Even right. the extradition idea—that's a violation of the Constitution. Well, uh, here's the, the uh, idea that DeSantis. I guess what I'd say is it's just—it's not. It's not relevant because there are you know, there are federal authorities there as well. Right. So right, uh, it's There's not relevant about extradition. It's I don't want to be interesting on... that DeSantis raised it because of what it implies. Right, the scenario that he's projecting out to the world is of like Trump barricading himself in Mar-a-Lago right. and, and Florida police refusing to arrest him. Like Probably that spectacle <laughs> is not going to happen. But DeSantis raised it for a reason. Uh, right. Both sides are going to be d dug in. It's just sad. If either side is right about anything, it's sad. It's, just, it's a sad thing. But you know what? In this country, we got a system that does the, the greatest system ever, right. Amen. and we'll get to, I think that justice in the end will be served by this great system that we have here. So, right. you know, I'm sad for the country on one hand, but on the other hand, you know, we'll get to, we've been through a couple of impeachments and a you know, two-year investment. We've been through a lot. Yeah. So, and uh, it's, and it's, it's a lot of drama, which is why he won't stay in Florida, because the drama will... We'll ramp up, uh, I guess. Uh, where's it going to be, Eamon? In front of Trump Tower? Down, downtown, downtown? In front of the courthouse? Yeah, it's, yeah he'll yeah. be at the courthouse in lower Manhattan. Um, but both sides are. And we'll see. I mean, like, like, this is a, pres this is a former president who predicted death and destruction if he were indicted. I know. We didn't see any he of that He says he didn't night. say it. He said, I don't know, on the other, he said, no, I, know, I don't know. He's got, I like, I thought of the, the movie Unforgiven to me when he said it, completely innocent. I don't think any of us are completely innocent, are we? I, in, in Unforgiven, they say, well, no, we all, he goes, I, oh, I, I don't am. deserve this. And he says, we all deserve it. I don't have this coming. Eamon's Eamon's completely innocent? <laughs> okay. I'm completely right. innocent. I'm Bold a babe statement. in the woods. You're, you're completely, completely innocent. innocent. Okay. Bold statement. But Eamon, thank you. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, former Obama chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, Jason Furman, joins us on the Fed's fight against inflation and if the latest pricing data should impact their next move. If we're starting to see this turmoil spread within the financial system, I think a pause would be perfectly appropriate. If we're not, I think a pause would be a mistaken way to try to increase financial stability. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. New data on inflation this morning rose slightly less than expected in the month of February. While this might seem like it's good news, the core PCE index, the measure of inflation that tracks changes in the prices of goods and services, excluding food and energy, still increased by 4.6% on a 12-month basis, while at a slower pace than in January. 
This new data is causing a stir in the financial markets and is raising questions about whether or not the Federal Reserve will continue to raise interest rates at their next meeting. Investors are split on how the Fed should react. Here's Becky with more. The Delivering Alpha Investor Survey brings together the market intelligence of some of the nation's leading institutional investors, top strategists, and our very own CNBC contributors. We asked them for their outlooks and strategies for the second quarter and beyond. When asked if the Fed is moving too fast on rates, 45% say yes, it is time to slow down. 45% also say that they are comfortable with the current pace, and only 10% say that they would like to see them be more aggressive and raise rates even more. Joining us right now is Jason Furman. He served as the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama. He is now an economics professor at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. And, and Jason, you've been very outspoken for quite a while that the Fed wasn't moving fast enough to address inflation. You wanted them to raise rates. Uh, what do you think now that they raised rates at this last meeting once again and that the financial crisis is kind of lying in the background? Yeah, look, there's the macroeconomy and there's the financial system. We haven't learned anything new about the macroeconomy that's particularly reassuring in the last three and a half weeks. We know that inflation is running at about a four and a half percent pace. We know that the economy is probably growing faster than its potential. We know that that's just a really, really big task to get from here to where we need to go on inflation. The banking turmoil is going to do part of the job. But, you know, as of this moment, it looks like it's only going to do part of the job and the Fed's going to need to do uh, more itself as well. Hey, Jason, let me just ask, um, just wondering what's happened. It seems like things have stabilized a bit for the moment when it comes to the banks. We haven't heard about any emergency meetings from last weekend. We're hoping there aren't going to be any this weekend either. But when you talk to people who are digging in the markets and, and poking and trying to find areas of weakness, they'll point not only to the banks, but other places that they think that this could potentially spread, the contagion beyond that. They look at commercial real estate. They look at insurance companies that have a lot of commercial real estate or other assets that they've been holding at uh, some level that may not be realistic in terms of the marks. Um, and, and that may be the concern and may be a reason for the Fed pausing just to say, let's see what happens. If we continue to push this, um, you could push it to the point of lots more things breaking. And that could be more than the Fed is even wanting to do in terms of a, a break to the economy. Look, if we're starting to see this turmoil spread within the financial system, I think a pause would be perfectly appropriate. If we're not, I think a pause would be a mistaken way to try to increase financial stability for two reasons. First of all, if eventually you're going to need higher rates and you lure investors into a false sense of security that the Fed funds rate's not going up, you're just increasing the chance that you're coming back and surprising them later. Second, higher inflation means higher interest rates. That means financial instability. You can't have a stable financial system without getting the macro under control. So absolutely, they should monitor, they should be careful, but they shouldn't be aggressive in holding off on rate changes um, for fears of financial stability. They could make the problem worse if they did that. Jason, you haven't uh, couched your terms or, or been wishy-washy or anything for the past uh, six months or so. And uh, you, you've heard some, you know, Jeremy Siegel, Barry Sternlich, you've heard some other people I know. I, I think maybe you've seen some, some of those interviews or not. I was wondering whether, you know, you were waking up in the middle of the night after SVB and Signature and some of this other stuff and, and, and wondering whether your resolve 
that inflation is really a big problem, more, more important than financial stability, more important than full employment. Do you ever question that, that, that very strident uh, stance that you've taken on, on we got to raise rates no matter what? As if, that's, as, as if killing demand is a good way you know, to bring down inflation. I mean, that, there's a question in and of itself whether that's a good idea, Jason. So, Joe, a lot of things wake me up in the middle of the night, um, especially my children. But <laughs> do they ask you about, Dad, why do you think we should raise rates? That's, that's what, what they what, say. <laughs> look, the longer this goes, the harder it gets. Um, you know, if the Fed had acted earlier on the rates, we might have right. had less of a financial well, if stability my grandmother problem had, now. Uh, my, you know, no, I'm not going to go there. But, but, but uh, you know, I, if I acted earlier, and, and if it hadn't acted, we'd have higher inflation now, even higher than we have. We'd have even higher nominal interest rates. Bond prices would have fallen just as much. We would have had all these problems. There's just not. I wish there was an easier, better way to do it. I mean, and Joe, how many maybe, basis points? Maybe you're how in the school basis? that you want to yell at the companies and tell them to stop raising prices. Wait, how many basis points does this count for? What we've seen in, uh, with 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 the banks, with the credit contractions. Yeah, I don't know. The, a few days after it, I said 50. That was yeah. just a wild guess. Right now, it looks like it might be a little lower, but it could be higher than that. And I think that is the main thing the Fed needs to look at now, between now and the next meeting. I don't think the macro data is going to change our perspective that, you know, all these people you cited before, they keep saying inflation's coming down. They keep being transitory. It just, it just isn't. You just worry about the signaling issues that you bring up at this point. If the Fed doesn't raise, people look at it in panic and think, uh-oh, that means there's something really bad in the banking situation we don't know about yet. Um, you know, it's, it's it's some weird signaling. The Fed's caught in a really difficult position. Jason, thank you. I agree with you. that. Yeah, thank you. It's good to see you. We'll talk to you soon. Next on Squawk Pod, tensions between the U.S. and China continue to intensify with a focus on big tech and data privacy. Atlantic Council President and CEO, Fred Kemp. We don't want to decouple entire economically from China. What we want to do is keep the most important technologies out of their hands. You don't want a hostile country growing even more dangerous by more access to the highest technologies. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe. The EU chief called for tougher policy on China ahead of her trip to China next week. The European Commission uh, wants to introduce a new strategy on economic security. Uh, for more on China, uh, joining us is now Fred Kemp. He is the president and CEO for the Atlantic Council and a CNBC contributor. And uh, I see you everywhere, Fred, but it's been a while uh, since you've been on Squawk Box. It's, it's, it's Squawk Box. It's good to have you on this morning. I was going to say, since the last time you were on, has anything happened with our relationship with China? Uh, of oh, not, nothing at all. So first of all, it's a pleasure to be back. And, um, you know, I, I'm seeing the, where we are right now, where uh, uh, mutual animosity, hostility growing greater. Uh, and uh, it feels to me like the period between 1948 and 1962 with the Soviet Union. 
And it took us that period of time from the Berlin airlift to the Cuban Missile Crisis, where we came to the brink of war, to get into patterns of behavior, arms control talks, superpower summits, exchanges of information uh, that allowed us to navigate the Cold War peacefully. But it's a very dangerous period before 1962, and I think that's the period of time we're in now where a miscalculation uh, could go seriously awry, even if we don't want it to at the moment. So we really have to be quite quite careful. I mean, you, you do need a flowchart, uh, Fred, because I, I can just think of so many things. There was an article, opinion earlier this week uh, in the op-ed pages of the journal, we're not prepared for war with China. I, I mean, even saying those words is, is frightening. Uh, we think of, uh, you know, is our military depleted, given all of our assistance uh, to Ukraine? What's the situation with Taiwan? What, what does uh, strategic ambiguity uh, even mean? What about the, the balloon gate? Um, there's so many things. And, and the recent, um, uh, I don't know, when, when President Xi goes to, to Russia and embraces Putin, and, and, it, and, and you know, they, they start using a different currency in, in South America in certain countries instead of the dollar. All these things make me wonder whether there really is something we need to be very, very concerned with uh, in our future relations with China, which are so important. Well, I, I'm so glad you put all those pieces together uh, because it all adds up to an increasingly dangerous moment in the world's most important, most decisive relationship. It feels to me there, there, have, been, there have been inflection points in history, end of World War One, end of World War II, end of the Cold War. And I think Putin's war in Ukraine has set off another one of those things. Uh, and uh, and President Xi's trip to Moscow last week was important for two in two respects. First of all, he uh, threw away any pretense of neutrality in the war in Ukraine. Uh, the president of Ukraine invited him to come to Ukraine, but he hasn't even called him after the meeting. But the second one, and you mentioned uh, President uh, von der Leyen's trip to China coming in, and she'll be going with President uh, French President Macron. The second one that she's worried about, and she talked about in a speech this week, is the creation of a new international order that's China-led, safer for autocrats, replacing the order that we, uh, or at least evolving the order that we created with uh, our allies and, and partners after World War II. And I think that's a big play. And he talked quite openly about that with Putin and said, uh, it's the biggest geopolitical shift, and this is President Xi, biggest geopolitical shift in 100 years, and the two of us can together can can shape it. So he's he's being uh, President Xi's being very public about that outcome, that outcome that he's trying to get. Against that backdrop, Fred, we had, uh, I mean, we had Tim Cook go over to China. You can't overstate the importance of that relationship to Apple. I don't know what we're supposed to do uh, about that. Elon Musk, can you overstate how important China is to to Tesla as well? They're both going. So business. For, for certain businesses, it seems like it's business as usual with China because it's and, and how do we separate out the CCP from the billion and a half uh, Chinese consumers that we don't really have a problem with and, and certainly want as trading partners? It's it's really I mean, if the CCP, if something would happen there it would make things a heck of a lot easier. But there, there's not much hope for that. We've been hoping for that for years, but we're not any closer, are we, Fred? No, we're not. Uh, we're further away. So first, the political and then the economic. On the political, it's 90 million members of the Communist Party. But we've gone from one party rule to one man rule. And that's what's dangerous and fragile about this. President Xi Jinping has uh, centralized authority in his own hands more than any Chinese leader since Mao. 
Um, and he's gone in a very nationalist direction. Uh, China's dangers are maybe its weaknesses. Uh, it's slowing economically. It's demographically in trouble. He could turn to a nationalist move on Taiwan just to strengthen himself. And then on the economic side, you're right. We, we, we don't want to decouple entire economically from, from China. What we want to do is keep uh, the most uh, you know, important technologies out of their hands. You don't want a hostile country growing even more dangerous by more access to the highest technologies. But how do you do that? walk and chew gum at the same time. How do you do that uh, and still have a relationship with China that works? So you want to deter over Taiwan, but you don't want to inflame over Taiwan. And, and right now, uh, we're not really uh, managing it as well as we could. And I don't know what you think we should do with TikTok. It was kind of, it, it was like bipartisan. We need to ban until certain members of, of one party thought, wait a minute, those are all the voters that we want all those young people, if we ban it, we're going to permanently, you know, and, and suddenly the reality came crashing down and suddenly, oh, no, we don't need to ban TikTok anymore. What do you, how do we, what's the line we should walk there, Fred? Well, I'm not the world's leading expert on TikTok, but in general, I'd rather not uh, do things in a banning kind of way, but rather spinning off, uh, regulating um, uh, continuing, but under a different form, if the Chinese are willing to do that. The, the question is, how do we get into habits of behavior where we can actually negotiate these things? And we don't have a balloon going over our territory that brings us to the edge is of Is it a Trojan horse, though, do you think, Fred? Is it an insidious uh, uh, sort of a brainwashing, you know, destroying our, our, our youth and, and gathering all this uh, information better than a, a, a balloon ever could? Is that what TikTok is? Well, look, the, the one thing we know is TikTok under Chinese law, if the Chinese government, if the, if the party asks for that information, they have to give it to them. And so we're, we're relying on uh, the Chinese parties, China, Communist Party's goodwill that it just wouldn't do that. But look, the, there's a lot of danger in a lot of other social networks, too. So it's not just TikTok right. that's poisoning know. You know, teenagers' minds. It's all a cesspool, Fred. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, now they want money for my blue check mark. Forget it. Well, never let, go on. Let, let's remember one thing. We and the Europeans together have 60% of the world's GDP. China with Russia together has 20, 25%. And so sometimes I think we make this a larger problem than right. it is if we, if we just manage right. it properly. We should say it loud and say it proud. You're darn right, Fred. Thanks for pointing okay, that great. out. You're, we're in total agreement as always. Okay, as always. Thank you, uh, okay. Fred Kemp. Sorry, I said Kempy earlier. I don't know. My, I have Kemp, brain Kemp. freeze. I have brain freezes. Where you know we get to a certain age, Fred. You know, over forty, <laughs> these things start happening more frequently. You know? Well, speak for yourself. I feel, I'm feeling very fresh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the pod for today and the week. Happy Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right to your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 